CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, put on your clown shoes, get the elephants ready, and cue up the circus music, folks. The Montreal Alouette Circus is back in town with its latest act. And oh boy, just when things are going up for the Alouettes, uh, they decide to fire their general manager, so... Should be a great show here today as we talk about that and some other great storylines from around the CFL. This is the Canadian Football Countdown. I am Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Mike, how are you doing this evening? Um, Unfortunately, Ryan, Winnipeg is like uh, scorching hot right now, so I didn't bring my clown outfit into the studio because it would have... Literally brought my body temperature up double what it is right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Whew. It's hot in here, Mike. I know. I I tried to get the air moving here in the studio, but that didn't necessarily work. But I would say nowhere in the temperature is hot as it is in Montreal. Yeah. For two very different reasons. Yeah, so that is obviously the most precedent topic on today's show, the Montreal Alouettes, and, well, they picked up a second straight win this week, and then, like I mentioned, fired general manager Kavis Reed. Joe Mack comes and takes over general manager duties. Now, we'll talk a lot, I'm sure, about everything to do with the Alouettes. Other topics we do have on deck for today's show include, when will the Argos win a game? Is it anytime soon? Uh, QB rankings, I have decided to go through, we are now through, what, five weeks through the season? I have ranked all of the current starting quarterbacks for each team, because some will surprise you. Some quarterbacks have been playing really well, some that we expect to play well have not done so, so much. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't give some love for the special teams and some very exciting play from special teams around the CFL. So all of that and more our fantasy picks, our CFL pickums coming later on in the show as well. well. Let's kick things off, Mike. Where do we start? Montreal? Absolutely. Where else? Uh, so they've won two in a row. Their latest was a nice victory over Ottawa, and they made Dom Davis look very average again uh, compared to the first two starts of the year, and... Yesterday morning, as we're recording this live on Monday night, we get the news that uh, Tavis Reed is fired, otherwise known as in some media services as Captain Forensic by a certain individual who I will remain nameless, but if you're on Twitter, you can quickly search up who called him Captain Forensic. But nonetheless, uh, Tavis Reed does not have a job, and... Everybody was questioning the the timing of it. I mean, two straight when they're finally starting to gain confidence, which to me is a scary thing for the rest of the East Division. All of a sudden, you know, we, for lack of a better term, may have a third horse in the race, at least at this point. But we 
you know, didn't really anticipate based on the first couple of games. But Although, I'll add that perhaps one of the original two horses in the race has fallen out a little bit. Yeah, so maybe it's become a three-horse race, and maybe we start to look at that crossover not even being an option, the way the way things are kind of currently headed. Hello, Saskatchewan. Hello, BC. That Hello, Calgary. Uh, maybe. Maybe, 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 but we'll see uh, what happens there, uh, especially with the BC Saskatchewan uh, head-to-head this week, and that's week, which I think they did determine a lot for one team, but we can get into that later. But, no, I just, and then all of a sudden all this uh, circumventing the cap rumors and supposed sources come out, and... I mean, that would get anybody fired in any line of work, never mind football, but the great lines to make a team that, I don't know, coming into the season didn't necessarily have the best talent, I don't think, in the CFL. How do you try to circumvent the tap to make that team even better when... Clearly, there's some upgrades that you can make where you don't need to circumvent the cap. Just, just confuses me if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it was like a progression as this story came out with Cavus Reed. It was like Cavus Reed has been fired. It was like, what the heck? Like people have mm-hmm. been waiting for this to happen for years. It finally happens when they're on a two-game win streak. And then we get into finding out who the replacement is going to be, and it's somebody that people in Winnipeg are very, very familiar with from uh, their struggles several years ago with the Joe Mack era here in Winnipeg. And uh, so we find out Joe Mack is now the new general manager there in Montreal. And then we continue to find out even more. You know, there's rumors that perhaps the reason that Cavis Reed is out is because the team is about to be sold. And it looks like we could finally have a new owner for the Alouettes on the way very soon with the Lankov brothers. I believe they're heading to another game this week and they're looking to purchase the team who is currently owned by the CFL. So maybe there was something, you know, in the negotiations there where somebody said, we'll buy this team, but we want a different general manager in there. We don't believe in what Cavus has done with this team so far. We want a different guy in there, and that's that's our condition if we're going to buy your team. So there was reports of that. And then, Mike, as you mentioned, we get into the talk now of all of a sudden there's talk of Cavus Reed. The reasoning perhaps behind his fire here is circumventing the cap, not only that, putting his own personal expenses on the team's cards. Like, what else is going to come out from this story yet? It's it's awful as it is. But how did this only come to light recently is my question. I mean, it must have... Maybe it happened in the last month and they got the team card statement and... Notice that things officially are what they are, but... Maybe it's been a slow news day for them the last two weeks, so they needed to do something? I'm not too sure, Ryan, but this this is something that... Something like this does not manifest itself um, overnight. And I think the CFL 
owns a responsibility to, as the quote-unquote owners of the Montreal Alouettes, to give everybody more details. After all, they are paying the Alouettes expenses for now. Until the Lankov brothers inevitably right. buy it, which is very soon. And my question is, how does this, if at all, even change that? Well, I think, like I was just saying, I think it is a condition for them to buy the team. They were not going to buy the team if Kavis Reed was still. I'm not even manager. saying in general. Like, what if more people than Kavis Reed happen to be involved? Like, do you want to associate yourself with that? No. So, I mean, the other thing is, if it's a condition to fire Kavis Reed, you could also just buy the team and fire him. No. Yeah, you could. That's a good point. So. To me, to make that a pre-existing condition is kind of a condition that doesn't even need to be there because the minute you assume control, you can give them his watching papers. And I just find it so ironic that for a team that's been in turmoil for so many years in a row here, since Anthony Calvillo retired in, what, 2013? Like, it's been six years that this team has gone through the ups and the downs and the turmoil. And now we get to a point where this is the best they've looked. I will argue, and maybe, you know, second half of the season with Jonathan Crompton at quarterback leading them into the playoffs uh, in one of those earlier years, maybe you would argue that was the best this team has looked. But this week, back-to-back wins against division rivals, their starting quarterback in Vernon Adams, this was probably his best game of his career, I would say, 23 of 30 for 327 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and they put up 36 points on the Ottawa Red Blacks. I mean, Montreal has looked good in the last two games. I would argue they came fairly close to beating Edmonton in week number one. Like, this is a team that's sitting at 2-2, two and two, could be 3-1. and one. And yet now we're to, back to not even talking about the on-field product with this team. We're talking about off-field issues with this team yet again. Like, when does this end? Is this finally, like, is this something that needs to happen to finally end the circus? in Montreal because I don't see how it does with who took over as general manager. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I I think we need to give Joe Math some time. And I wonder if this is a temporary stopgap, a three-week filler until the, the, the Lantanel brothers come in. But last I heard and last I read, they were talking to a prominent player agent about becoming the general manager. Yeah, one very well known, I may add, for uh, having his players hold out for contracts. Like, to me, there's just one subject after another, after another, after another. And, you you know, what's the next act? And I'm not going to say that the sale of the team is in jeopardy, but... The new owners, whoever it is, whether it's those brothers or anybody in general, has an onus and a responsibility to, for a lot of better term, if I may use a Donald Trump term. Oh, gosh. Careful, Mike. Drain the swamp. I mean, there is kind of a a weird stench going on in Montreal, but even though they're winning, kind of still exists. I, I, I don't know. It's... It's a it's a never-ending saga, but hopefully new owners can put to bed. How long 
before Brian Brom is brought in as the starting quarterback of the Montreal Alouettes. Well, last I checked, Brian Brom was coaching college football somewhere in the state. So unlikely, but I I, I get what I get why you said that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I have to wonder too with this regime change if if all of a sudden that maybe changes things for Anthony Pipkin, sorry Antonio Pipkin, because to me I I don't know when healthy at this point given the last two weeks. If you can right away install Pipkin back to do number one. No, night. Vernon Adams is number one for this team. Especially after last week, but again it's a situation of you know kind of like Cody Pajardo and Vagina. He had two dead games and then he dropped off. So maybe you keep Pipton not far away. When you've won as little as you have in the last number of years and you have a starting quarterback that just played his best game of his career, comes in and wins you two straight games here, like Pipkin's not getting back on the field. If it's... Unless Adams seriously struggles, which, to be fair, last year, I said that exact same thing about Antonio Pipkin, where Johnny Manziel went down. Right. I believe Pipkin came in and won two games, or he won one of them but played very well in a loss. We're thinking, okay, they might have a starting quarterback here, and then he throws four interceptions. So, but I'm still not convinced in the long term that the Alouettes' future quarterback is Anthony uh, Antonio Pipton or Vernon Adams at this point. I think it could be Vernon Adams. I, I think it's more likely that it's Vernon Adams over Antonio Pipton. But for me, I'm not sold on either of them being the long-term number one. And I'll be glad to be proven wrong because I think it's time for Vernon Adams to carry a team considering he came into the lead. Uh, I believe it's a supplemental draft. The team gave up a first-rounder. Then he was traded for a first-rounder. So he's been involved in a lot of deals where first-round picks have been given up to acquire his services. And I think it's time. And maybe it's as simple as, for lack of a better term, but Tahari Jones effect on Vernon Adams. Yeah, can I? I, I was gonna a... say Vernon Davis, but that's an NFL player. Yeah, Vernon no, Adams. Not quite. Uh, can I just give a shout out to Kahari Jones for a moment? Because this guy like takes over the the head coaching role after training camp is done, a week before the season starts, because the team decides to part ways with Mike Sherman then. We didn't have very many hopes for Kahari Jones at the time. This is a guy, this is his first head coaching gig, correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is a guy that we expected to maybe get a shot at being a head coach down the road sometime in the future, but now all of a sudden he gets thrown in there with Montreal, and he has this team playing pretty well. Like, I'm impressed with what he's done, given that he took the role over. He's brought life to this offense uh, with Vernon Adams, with William Stanback, who had another solid week this week. The defense really picked up their play this week, I thought, against Ottawa. Like, this whole thing with the GM and with Cavis Reed is taking notice away from this team is actually playing some decent football right now. Maybe that's good for them, because maybe that takes the pressure off the guys on the field when you have all of this drama off the field that everybody is focusing on. I don't know. All I know is, you know, this team is 2-2. Two and two. I'm interested to see what the implications of what happened this weekend, you know, with the new, all the news that came out Sunday are. And uh, we'll see if they continue uh, to, you know, see if they can get a third straight win this week as they play Edmonton. And 
as I recall, they played Edmonton very well early in the season in Edmonton. Exactly. So, I think that, you know, most people thought they'd done themselves a hole too deep to come out of, and they almost came out of it, and then Trevor Harris ended up finding his game late, and the game to kind of solve it to win, but not to foreshadow any of my pants, but I think more people are going to be picking Montreal this week than Edmonton, just based on that little standard alone, and maybe it's closer to a 50-50 split than Maybe we would have been told two weeks ago. Well, I can tell you from the CFL Pick'em website that actually only 16% of people are taking the Alouettes. Most really? people are taking Edmonton. And I can see why. Edmonton is, like, look at what Edmonton is. In Montreal. Yeah. That seems a little high for me. The Alouettes have won two games. Like, as much as I'm hyped, like, let's be real, it's two games. I want to move on, though, to the next topic. Two here. games, but they played well in three. Yes. If, if, yeah. If you throw in the Edmonton game. Yeah, I'll give you that there. Other team I want to talk about here. The Toronto Argonauts, Mike. They uh, 0-4 on the season. Corey Chamberlain has now lost 13 straight regular season games as a head coach in the CFL. Um, it was basically over early in this game for them against the Bombers. They did make... I almost make a game of it a bit later in the game. They actually scored more points than the Bombers in the second half. But the question now is, like, like Toronto was down on the first play of the game. Special teams wasn't even a question. Like, uh, I, I think they forgot to play special teams this week. When will the Argos win a game? Oh, conventional wisdom suggests that a winless team is dangerous until they win. I mean... Is it, though? Like, are the Argos dangerous? They're dangerous from a standpoint that the longer this losing streak goes, the less they have to lose. And a team that doesn't have a lot to lose is very dangerous in my mind. That's fair. So to suggest that they're going to be 0-8 or further after they get out of the stretch might be a little bit presumptuous. Yeah, just looking at their schedule here, the just finished playing Winnipeg. They now play Calgary and Edmonton, both on the road. I would at imagine ho- they're staying out west. For at the- home to Winnipeg. Then they have a bye week in week nine. Week 10, they're at home to Edmonton. And then they're at home to Montreal in week 11. Like, Which may or may not be a winnable game for them. Yeah, but just what we talked about with Montreal. Like, to me... Like, that is a tough next stretch of games here, especially if they have to go on the road to Calgary and Edmonton here. And let's be frank. What would they play up until the Winnipeg game? I haven't seen their schedule. They were they were at home to Hamilton, okay. uh, on the road in Saskatchewan, at home to BC, and on the road to Winnipeg. So dropping those two games to Saskatchewan and BC, who are struggling as they are, doesn't help either. Because the presumptuous free spot on the bingo card games for them are becoming less and less as this gets deeper. Like, to me, it's just the Argos are finding ways to lose football games right now. Like, would you agree with that statement? Whether it's missing a field or whether it's stepping out of bounds and losing by a rouge in their closest game last week, whether it's getting plastered on defense in that first game against the Tie Cats, like this week it was special teams. I mean, the Bombers were up 14 nothing in this game four minutes in after only running one offensive play because you give up 
what was it, uh, at least 150 return yards and a touchdown? Yeah, 105 on the Whitehead. And then 80-something from 84 on Nelson. The Nelson one, I think. So, like, what's the biggest issue for Toronto right now, I guess, and how do we fix it? Because I'm looking at the schedule going up. I'll say this. I'll put this on the line right now. I have the Argos at 0-8 going into Montreal, going into that home game with Montreal. And the way Montreal's playing, that might be 0-9. Like, to me, the next clear potential game where I might pick them to win, and there's a lot to transpire, is week 13 against the Ottawa Red Blacks. I could see this team being 0-10 going into Ottawa. Can I start with the problem being everywhere? Maybe not McLeod Bethel-Thompson, but, I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, for my money, has done good with what he's been given. His special teams completely crapped the bed the other night, for lack of better term. Uh, the defense let Ned Dempsey did away. The defense gave up a long ball to Darvin Adams, which, to me, it's just, and it's not like these are terrible football players, but they have on the back end of this defense or on special teams. It's almost like, and I, I hate to frame Toronto in this negative way, CFL football is dying in Toronto with every Argonaut loss, and it's not about to get any better. For a team that's looking for summer relevance, the Toronto Blue Jays who are playing behind us are out of the playoff picture come July. Toronto FC on the outs in just inside the MLS playoff situation with half a season to go. The Argos have the spotlight have a chance to grab Toronto sports for the summer and make a run of it, but they cannot take advantage of it. And to me, with every loss, gives people less and less of an incentive to go, no matter how many discounts you throw at a fan base. A discount is more likely to be effective at, what are they now, 0 and 5, 0-4? 0-4. Okay, so... You're more than likely to have a discount, you know, be used at 2-2 two and two or 1-3 and three if you've been rather competitive in your games. But the problem is they're 0-4. The one game they've really been competitive in, they lost last week at home. And you can't, like you said to me in a test message, I think it was you, you know, you can't remove the coaching staff because of the coaching cap. Now, it's very hard to do that. And I don't know if you want to fire a coach four games into a tender, but the details are brand new. They're, I think we just need to base the reality that a team like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and a team like the Toronto Ardenauts have a massive talent disparity in contrast to what is acceptable for winning CFL games on a consistent basis. And to me, it starts on that offensive line. The defense has been good for Winnipeg. If I put one versus nine right now, and I don't mean to toot the local team's horn, but they are the number one team in the CFL. And most importantly, Winnipeg has consistency and stability at quarterback. McLeod Bethel-Thompson goes down. Then, no, I'm not too sure I'm comfortable in that number two option or in Toronto's option number three, given the fact that James Franklin is out. But, you know, CFL, it starts with consistency and talent. 
And a team with the most talent consistently wins games. It doesn't win every game. But talent should win you a consistent amount of football games. And the Ardles, to me, should lot in that talent at the most important position on the field. I will give them a bit of positivity here that, and I don't know, I really don't know how much of this to chalk up to the, them playing better as the game went along, or the Bombers just well, I'll tell you what, sitting but, back okay. because the they, the game was out of hand. Like, they were up 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter or something like 28 that. 28 nothing. 28 nothing. So, like, to me, to be fair, to Toronto's credit, like, I thought they played not bad in the second half. Like... They finally did what we've been saying they need to do for weeks. They got Darrell Walker involved on offense. Like, Darrell Walker had a monster game. Nine catches, 100-something yards, Must to my two touchdowns. My team. Of course, the week after Mike drops him in Seattle Fantasy, yet again. We'll get into that a bit later, though. But it was good to see them opening things up, getting the ball to Darrell Walker. Like, that's what they brought him in to do. And it's nice to see them starting to do that. My one thing I do think offensively that they can do here to improve things even more, perhaps, is run the ball. Like, James Wilder did nothing in this game again. They actually had Brandon Burke start running the ball later in the game. And he yeah, and the first better. play he comes in, he fumbles. Oh, did he? I missed that one. As uh, so a one early in the third quarter, the first play of the third quarter, they put Burks in and. Oh right, yes. He, I think I was walking back to my seats at that point. Right, and and he fumbles and the bombers hop on it. Um, but he still did actually pick up a decent amount of yardage. Right. I think he had thirty something yards. So like, you bring in this plethora of running backs for Toronto. You still start James Wilder, anyways. He hasn't produced yet. I know they did let go of Terrell Sutton. Chris Rainey's the return guy. So that leaves you with basically Burks and Wilder. Like, do you keep going with James Wilder as your starter here, or do you let Brandon Burks get a chance? Given, like you said before, Toronto's a dangerous team and that they have nothing to lose. What is there to lose in trying to put Brandon Burks in there? Making a dive at Mitch's sizable salary even more angry than he already is. Good, then maybe he'll come back and play better. To me, it's it's kind of funny we're talking about this because, to me, remember when Jane Wilder threatened to hold out? Yep. To do one of the bigger salary? Yep. After what was a very good rookie year? Well, and mostly it was he wanted a shot at the NFL. Correct. But he wanted a bigger salary. Ever since that whole debacle went down, we haven't seen James Wilder, but we saw in the first year in the league. Granted, the Ardo's offensive line, I don't think, has had the talent to open up the whole swarm of late. But I still want to know why they let go of Chris Van Zyl. That, to me, shows big right now. Yeah. Um, Moral of the story here, Argos are not good. I don't see them getting any better anytime soon. Are and, you ready? To and I don't even know how you go about fixing them. Just no. as a closing thought. Because there's so many holes that need to be filled. I agree. Are you ready to move on to our next topic here, Mike? Sure. What do you want to ta- tackle next? Do we want to talk QBs or do we want to talk special teams? I'll talk about the quarterbacks because we're kind of all on that trail already. Um, Ryan, you have ranked the starting quarterbacks. At least the ones that started last week, one to nine in the, in the lead. 
And I have seen this list, and there are going to be a few that will cause a stir, but once you explain your reasoning, I think it's justified. It's not a successful podcast until you cause controversy. Right, and you're welcome to send us a note on Twitter, whether you agree or disagree, at CFC on MightyFM if you wish, uh, to get the debate going. But, Ryan, why don't you unveil your... List of QB power rankings. Yeah, sure. I'll start with the top two here, really. And the top two for me, uh, first of all, number one on there, I think it's obvious. It's Trevor Harris right now. And I'll say I'm ranking these quarterbacks based on how I've seen them play this season. And I am only ranking the current starting quarterbacks for the team. So you'll find Bo Levi Mitchell is not on my list because he's on the injured list right now. So I have Nick Arbuckle as Calgary's quarterback. But Trevor Harris of the Edmonton Eskimos is by far number one on my list here. I mean, he has the highest yards per game out of anybody in the league. He has the second highest uh, completion percentage just behind Nick Arbuckle at 73.1. Eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, three rushing touchdowns. Like, you've played four games and you haven't thrown an interception? Are you kidding me? And, and this go dates back to last season, I think. I don't think he threw a single interception in his last three games of last year either. Like, I think we're looking at Trevor Harris, seven straight regular season games without an interception, if I'm correct. Like, that is incredible to me. You want to talk about a guy who puts his team in position to win a game? That is Trevor Harris. And that's, to me, why Harris has slowly started to creep up into that top tier of quarterbacks. But I think... What keeps Trevor Harris, for most people, out of the top tier of quarterbacks in the league in general is that he hasn't won the big game yet. Right. And I think that, rightly or wrongly, is how we establish the top tier of quarterbacks. Next up on my list at number two, this is where the controversial opinions may begin. Uh, I have Matt Nichols, and I don't think anybody would normally put Matt Nichols in the top two CFL quarterbacks because let's be real he doesn't throw for a lot of yards 213.8 per game 69.4 completion percentage but to me the TD interception ratio is the most important part when determining a good quarterback because to me the top quarterbacks in the league put their team in the position to win a game they don't hurt their team's position to win a game and yes I'll say it game manager it's the label everybody loves. Matt Nichols' wife got him a hat with the words game manager on it because that's what he is. You know, he throws a couple passes here, a couple passes there. Doesn't throw a lot of passes in a game, but doesn't throw any interceptions besides the one. Has 10 touchdown passes. And Mike, I'll say this, and you, I want to know if you agree with me on this. I think Matt Nichols throws the best deep ball in the CFL. The best what? The best deep ball. Yeah, but did you sorry to say this, but behind one of the better offensive lines in the CFL and he's got time to launch the deep ball and he's not really in any any hurry to get rid of the ball. Like I'm I was at the game this week and that touchdown pass to Nick Dembski. I was sitting in the end zone this week, uh seven rows up in the end zone. So I see Nick Dembski running towards me. And Matt Nichols placed that ball perfectly. And he did that earlier with Darvin Adams as that well. That ball had to be placed perfectly given the end zone, given the boundary line. You know, he, he won't throw 
for a lot of yards in the game because that's not part of the Bombers' game plan. The game plan is to give the ball to Andrew Harris over and over, and then Matt Nichols, you know, throws the timely passes. So you want to call him a game manager? I'll throw a different term out there. I think Matt Nichols is a win manager, and I will put him at number two on my quarterback ranking so far. Moving on. Correct me if I'm wrong. Take Chris Traveler out of it. Do the Bombers only have four turnovers? I don't know how many fumbles they've had, but yet they only have the, one interception. The two Harris fumbles and the one interception. Possibly. To Nettles' credit, anyway. Right. Traveler's thrown two interceptions and a fumble. But that being said, when manager starts to kind of ring his bell, and I don't know, Ryan, can we maybe discuss this about Matt Nettles here real quick? And that is, why are we seeing Matt Nettles go deep a little more this year compared to previous years. Because nobody it, expects them to. Is it because it's the game manager and you're like, oh, screw it, we got a Tana? Well, nobody expects him to. Um, he has the weapons there, like Lucky Whitehead, hello. Like yeah. Nick Dembski, hello. Like Darvin Adams, hello. Chris Matthews, when healthy, hello. Exactly. So I, I think that's just opened things up so much more. So I do want to see him have that 300-yard passing game. It's but, coming. It's coming if he didn't get hurt at the middle of the games. But he doesn't need to to pick up the wins. Anyways, moving on. Number three on this list, I have Jeremiah Mazzoli because, you know, and the only reason I don't have him higher than Matt Nichols is just he has thrown six interceptions this season. Like, he is 70.8% passing. He does have over 300 yards a game. He has nine touchdowns this year, three on the ground. But he has thrown six interceptions. So that's my only knock on Jeremiah Mazzoli is that he has thrown a couple picks. You know, even in that loss to Montreal, I think he threw for 400 yards, but I believe he threw three interceptions there. So get the interception rate down, and maybe I, you know, have Jeremiah Mazzoli moving up to number two or number one. He still has had a very good year here. Next up in the middle of this list, I have three quarterbacks that are kind of the young guns going right now, and that is... Nick Arbuckle, Vernon Adams Jr., and Cody Fajardo at 4, 5, and 6. Uh, I put Nick Arbuckle at number 4 because he is the most accurate passer of these nine quarterbacks at 73.2%. Three touchdowns, one on the ground, zero interceptions. Again, you know I love that TD to interception ratio. 241 yards per game is not bad for a guy who just, you know, is never expect we never expected to actually start given how Bo Levi Mitchell's healthy streak for a long time. And I would argue Arbuckle should probably have a couple more touchdown passes on there. He threw over 300 yards this week uh, against the Ticats. Didn't get a single touchdown pass because, well, his the rest of his offense did drop a couple passes, did, you know, turn over the ball a couple times. Like, I can't fault him on that. Again, I feel like he's put his team in a position to win games so far. So he's my number four quarterback on the list. Number five, I've got Vernon Adams Jr. Loved what he did this week. Had a very solid game. He does only throw for about 209 yards a game. He does have only a 65% completion percentage. But again, you know what he does with his legs? He has three touch touchdowns on the ground this year, four through the air. Two interceptions only. I, is the biggest thing for Vernon Adams in your mind juggling when is the right time to run with the pocket and when is the right time to kind of step back and throw? Yeah, 
I think so, and I think he's done that very well. And I think he's utilized, and maybe I can just chalk that we should chalk this up to the offensive game plan in Montreal. But I think the way he's used William Stanback has been really effective. It takes a lot of pressure off of him. And for a team that, like we've said, has been in so much turmoil for years and has found ways to lose football games, they uh, they now have a starting quarterback here who has not lost them outright any football games. So I'm I'm high on what Adams has done so far. I'd put him at number five. Cody Fajardo I have at number six. Two great games, one bad game. Uh, I don't know what to expect from him when he comes out against BC this week. I would expect a good game based on playing the BC defense. But, again, you know, he's had a solid season so far, too. Four touchdowns through the air, four on the ground. He definitely performed a lot better than we expected him to. He did have that really bad game against Calgary where he got nothing going. But I still think Fajardo has had a solid start to the season and lived up past my expectations for him. That gets us into number seven, which might be the most unexpected spot I would have ever ranked Mike Riley on my QB list. And yes, I have Mike Riley at number seven. Like, I don't know what is wrong. I don't know if it's just chalked up to Mike Riley. I don't think it is. Like, it's the offensive line has sucked. So, I don't disagree with the way the current consumption of this list gets populated but is it fair to place Mike Riley that low on the list when he isn't really to blame for an offensive line that's been crap no and, and you know what to that credit maybe I should have him higher but he has not performed this year and I don't chalk it only up to the offensive line part of these offensive struggles of Mike Riley are on Mike Riley like there's Getting the ball no, out quicker. Exactly. This is something that, as good of a quarterback as he is, he hangs onto the ball a long time, and he likes to try to take those deep shots. And there was no greater indication of this to me than this past week when I was listening to the, our friends over at the Eskimo Empire podcast. Had Justin Sorensen, former offensive lineman, on the show with them talking about it. He made it very clear time and time again that when you're you know, pass-blocking for Mike Riley – you have to do that for a long time because he hangs on to the ball, he hangs on to the ball, and he waits for the last minute to find his open target and launch it downfield. If your offensive line is not playing that great, you don't have time to do that. You need to make those adjustments. And I haven't seen that from Riley. His statistics, 66% completion percentage only for him, 251 yards a game only, five touchdowns and five interceptions. Like, I still think overall rankings, if you want to, like, over the last number of years, Mike Riley's still my number one quarterback in the CFL. But as of right now, his play through four games, it's just not there for me. He's not getting it done, and that shows with the team's one and four record. Does it justify the hefty salary, but he... No. Okay, so can I put this to you this way? Does Mike Riley have the same struggles that we see him having if he's in place of Matt Nichols? Probably not, because then he can afford to wait that long to throw the ball because they have the offensive so line, and because Lucky Whitehead will be halfway down the field with nobody near him by the time Mike Riley's ready to throw the football. Right, right. So is this more... Uh, and this was my concern with that, with that BC story as a whole. When you dominate 725000 I think, with the salary, is that what somewhere in that neighborhood, 
for a salary cap that's only a couple million dollars. Yeah, I'm almost worried about, and I, and I say this on the hockey show all the time here on MightFM, salary cap imbalance. And it maybe affects the ability to to uh, help your team in other ways. So maybe a step one might really taking a bit of a pay cut to free up some money to bring some talent in. Cause I mean, even if even if let's say let's say he takes a salary of five hundred thousand dollars, right? What's that difference? Two hundred and twenty-five thousand, yeah, assuming. He works on a $725,000 base salary. $225,000 can buy a football player or two of pretty sizable talent, I think. Right. Um, and then the last two rounding out my list here, McLeod Bethel-Thompson at number eight, Dominic Davis at number nine. Bethel-Thompson can throw for a lot of yards, and he can have good football games, but he also has thrown decent number of interceptions throw, so far. He's five touchdowns, four interceptions. I, he, think the, I think a lot of that, just to counteract what you're saying, is him having no choice but to try to force the issue to generate some offense. Yeah, and it does come also as a result of him having to pass more because they're down so early in the game all the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just couldn't put Bethel Thompson higher on this list so far. I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. No. But I, I just didn't feel right dropping Mike Riley even further down this list. So I have Bethel Thompson at number eight. And number nine for me, Dominic Davis. And if you would have asked me after the 2-0 and start the Red Blacks had, I would have put him a lot higher on this list. He did have the four picks in week one, but the three rushing touchdowns, and then had a very solid week against Saskatchewan. But we've seen him in his last two games now just look disoriented out there. Three touchdowns, seven interceptions on the season. He does have 283 yards per game passing and five rushing touchdowns. But, I mean, it's really showed his inexperience, I think, in the last two games for the Red Blacks. I have a question. Does Brad Sinopoli play for the Ottawa Red Blacks? Supposedly. Because I have not seen him. No, he had another quiet week again this week. And, and to me, like I, I understand you're going to, to R.J. Harris and Dominic Rhymes and all these type of guys, but you have the most consistent receiver over the last number of years at your arsenal. And how you don't use them a little bit more is very confusing to me. And to me, Ottawa is becoming what I thought they would be despite the 2-0 and start. Yeah, and Tom Davis is included in that conversation. Yeah, it's crazy to me that Ottawa might be able to learn something from Toronto and the way they got Darrell Walker involved this week. Maybe try doing the same thing with Brad Sinopoli. Uh, about five minutes before we have to get into our pick'em and fantasy talk here, Mike. Talk to me about special teams and uh, what you love about special teams so much in the next I five minutes. I love Lucky Whitehead. I love Charles Nelson. I love Brandon Banks. And I love the other guy. His name escapes me, but Ron Bathy, uh punt. Will Likely. Will Likely the third. What a name. Maybe the most... Interesting name among CFL players. When you have a when you have Lucky Whitehead? Well <laughs> Will Lightly is kinda like well, two English words. My favorite CFL player name of all time still? Sandy Beverage. 
Who? Sandy Beveridge. <laughs> used to play for the Tie Cats. Yeah, I did. I did a Sandy. <laughs> oh, sorry. What what just came into my head when you said that? <laughs> I'll tell you after the show. But no, it, in a general sense, I mean, special teams got the Hamilton Tiger Cats back into the game with Calgary. Calgary had a blocked punt for one of their touchdowns as well. Uh, crap, I forgot who blocked Kadeem it. Kadeem Carey. Carey, the, the running back. Um, so it just goes to show about well-rounded special teams units and special teams plays go a long way to helping a CFO team. Yeah, not. I mean, yeah, because Hamilton won the game against Calgary this week. By the way, their first time in 15 games they've beaten Calgary. Yeah. Like, Mazzoli didn't play lights out. The offense well, didn't play Well, he played lights, lights out in the fourth quarter, about halfway through the fourth quarter when he got the one touchdown to get them uh, up from uh, 16 to It was a defensive straddle both ways. I mean... Like the special was, teams led them to this win. Right. It was two. It was two. If you take away, it was sixteen, sixteen going to the fourth quarter, somewhere in there. We had two special teams touchdowns by Hamilton. We had the blocked punt by Calgary. Three of the four touchdowns at sixteen, sixteen were special teams. Not to mention, you want to talk about we talk about game manager Matt Nichols. Like he can, you can afford to have a game manager at quarterback when you have a special teams that good. Like I said, one offensive play and it's fourteen nothing based on two strong returns right. for the Bombers. Like I'll go out and say this: this is overall the best special teams unit the Bombers have had in longer than I can remember. And I and I think it's a byproduct of who their coach is. Yeah, special teams guru Michael he, Shea. He prides himself on special teams. And let's add a very improved defense where, not sure the street came to an end and there were some touchdowns in there, but... Why did it have to come to end on nobody even covering Darrell Walker? Like, that was the biggest disappointment. But anyways, that's top. It was Derek Jones in for Jeff Hecht at the time, and let's be clear, that opening touchdown by Lucky Whitehead does not happen if Derek Jones makes a terrific block to allow Whitehead to go down the field. And it would probably be a holding call on Derrick Jones, but he releases his man at just the right time, so it's not. I want to end this topic off with stand on my soapbox and shout, please love my sport, because this is what's to love about the CFL. You do not get this in the NFL, where you have a league where, correct me if I'm wrong, because you watch a lot more NFL than I do, a lot of More kick- than I should. A lot of kickoffs go into the end zone. Correct. Where, okay, then you start at the 20-yard line. Punts are hardly ever returned because you just put your hand up Correct. and you hello to the other team and say, okay, nobody touch me. Correct. On the, you know, mm-hmm. what's that what's, what's that even called again? The, fair catch. No, fair catch, yes. See, I, I don't watch enough NFL, but I, I have seen enough to know that the CFL kick return, punt return game, is so much more exciting. And, you know, I'm not going to get deep into this talk about that Rouge victory last week, but, like, you don't get a weird ending like that in the NFL, and maybe some people claim that's why the NFL is better. But, you know, you had a play this week. It's not only the punt returns, it's the, the, the kick returns. My annoyance with the National Football League in the four-down situation, you basically needed three yards to play. Yeah, and, and then 
to me, like... And the 40-second play clock, to me, it's just absurd. Well, and Brandon Banks had the... It was a field goal, re- missed field goal return for a touchdown uh, this week, right, I believe? Yes. Like, you don't get that in the NFL either because you can't return was field it? goals. I believe it was, yes. The Banks or the other day? No, the other day ran the punt bath. Yeah, it right. was Banks on the field goal. Right. So, special teams are just so exciting to me in the CFL. Shout out and some love to the special teams. And I believe the NFL can pitch their special teams walls if they put their uh, field goal post at the front of the end zone. Yeah? Like, you don't even need to do the 40-second plot and all that stuff to move your field goal post back to the front of the end zone. Which I'm curious to see at IG Field when the NFL does come here in August, uh, how that configuration didn't work. Right. Let's get in. We got 10 minutes left. CFL Fantasy and CFL Pick'em. Uh, I did get back in the win column this week in the CFPN Fantasy Challenge uh, in the Battle of the Ryans. Your I, job is secure for another week, sir. Yes. In the Battle of the Ryans, I did take down Ryan Ballantyne from the Horseman Radio Podcast. Uh, his lineup of all Stampeders, oh boy, it came close to beating me. I got lucky this week. Arbuckle throws one touchdown pass to any of his other guys, and uh, he pulls out the win, so... I needed a big week to do it with 103 points as he put up 93 and I managed to pull it off thanks to some big games by a couple bombers. And yes, my new favorite player in the CFL, Quan Bray, with a 24-point week. Uh, Getting into our CFL Fantasy League, Mike, last week you had the bad week uh, due to some injuries and such. Uh, How do you think you did this week? I, uh, Ryan, you told me the number, uh, last night, that it picked my router moves, uh, I, I thought I did worse than I thought I did. So points this week, you had 121.34, I had 129.32, so I beat you by just under eight points. And I had two quarterbacks that were, didn't even play this week, so. Uh, overall, uh, totals on the season, you are at 605.62, I am ahead at 763.68. Sorry, wait, what? Shit, so... You, you got about 160 points to make up here, good sir. Yeah, yeah, that might be game over. We'll see if you can do it this week. Uh, trades for this week, we each get two if we want to use them. You are making two, I am only making one, and you get the, you get your two trades. Yeah, so I am removing, uh, you'll have to help me with this one, because I, I... Blanked out on the defensive player, but I added his name escapes me. Uh, but Calgary defensive back Nate Hawley. Nate Hawley, and I take off Bola combo. Bola combo because of that BC defense and self-explanatory. Montreal. Uh, Montreal. Sorry. How did he play for BC? He used to. He used to. Okay. Um, just because of a little bit more of it, I need from my defense as far as scoring goes. Uh. And the combo was nursing some injuries. Ah, so. Uh, so a little bit more consistency uh, in that kind of mindset. And then your other trade. And my other choice, which we just made moments before the show, I am removing Jawan Bruskison, which if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, me doing it that early, uh, I would have said, yeah, tell me about that and maybe we 12, but... Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, Juwan is battling what I can confirm is a head injury. Uh, there doesn't appear to be a timetable for his return. And I'm making amends for an earlier problem. Uh, not a problem, but an earlier roster move. 
and uh, corrected myself again by adding uh, from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Nick Dempsey, and barring injury, I can tell you he's here to stay now. Yeah, yeah, you did drop him after. But in fairness, one. I dropped him after week one where he had a very lackluster effort. Right. Uh, and now he's back in your lineup. My one trade I will make for the week. Um, I am dropping Chris Matthews because he has been injured for a couple games. He did not get the ball too much in his one game there. And yes, uh, my new favorite player in the CFL, Quan Bray, adding him to my lineup. Quan Bray payday, and I hope he pays off here with some good fantasy points. Uh, best of luck to you in week number six, Mike. And uh, in the CFPN Fantasy Challenge, I will be up against Brian from the BC Lions Den this week. So, Two guys at 3-2 and two on the season going head-to-head. -head. I moved up in the standings this week to third place overall, and we're all just trying to catch Andrew from the Empire right now. Empire Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast up to 5-0 and oh on the season. We'll see if anybody can catch him. So follow along to there uh, and the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter. CFL Pick'em for the week. Last week, Mike, I went 3-1. and one. I I took Calgary to win that game. I believe you went two and two, correct? Uh, having taken Toronto to beat the Bombers. What Toronto, you? okay. Neither of us is allowed to pick Toronto ever again because we we get it wrong. Just okay. don't do it. Okay, so in fairness, I thought that was the trap game, and these Bombers apparently are different and don't buy into the trap. So. So, Grant, given what I just said, I think we can probably skip this first game, but we'll see if Mike goes rogue on this. Uh, week six starts off Calgary hosting the Argos. Are you going to do it again this week? I'm tempted to because of the short week and the questions on the Calgary defense, and they only have one practice uh, this week and then right into the game on Thursday at home. But, I mean, what is it with Calgary? I mean, they don't lose at home. They lost one at home to a... Eastern team and squeaked out a second, I think. Uh, to me, I just cannot. To me, this in previous years it would be a walk in the park, just show up and may, and you'll win the game if you play decent football. I will give Toronto a chance in this one, but Calgary wins within a touchdown. I'm taking Calgary outright. I won't pick them by 20 like I did with the Bombers the week before, but I'll say Calgary by at least 10. Um, I hope to see some more improvement from the Argos, but Calgary's going to be pissed off. They're not going to fumble the ball and drop as many passes as they did this week. And Nick Arbuckle is going to continue to get better. So I'll take Calgary as well. Uh, also, uh, and then the Friday night game has the Bombers at home once again, facing off with the Red Blacks, who they beat two weeks ago in Ottawa. Uh, I'm taking the Bombers. Yeah, Tom Davis for me, a bit of a question mark in the last two games. I think this one will be closer than the last time these two teams played. But look for a special teams play from Lucky Whitehead or Charles Nelson to be the difference. Uh, less than a touchdown, maybe off the foot of Matt late in the game. Bombers by uh, less than seven. Ottawa did not look good against Montreal this week. Uh, they did not look good against the Bombers the week before think they're reeling here a little bit. They, they'll need to try to get things going early in this game to beat the Bombers. I think things just look too solid on all three sides of the ball right now for Winnipeg. I, I don't think this win undefeated streak is going to continue forever. Certainly not. But I, I like them over Ottawa here at home. You know, the Bombers play well at home. 
And I, I think it will be a close game as well, but I will take the Bombers by seven points. Just a real quick spiel. We have a 4-0 football team, so please do yourself a favor and go watch this team. There is no reason why more people can't be at the Bomber game. I will say I was impressed with the crowd of 24,000 this week because it was a Friday night on a hot day leading into a hot weekend. It was the Argos in town, the worst right. team in the CFL. And folk, Winnipeg Folk Fest was this week. But there were still 24,000 people in the stands. I want to see more there, though. Moving on to our next game, Edmonton-Montreal, the rematch from week one. This one's juicy to me because I want to take the Alouettes on the two-game win streak. But in the last two games that the Alouettes have won, they have not faced the tyrants that is this Edmonton defense. And I said last week the Bombers have the best defense in the CFL. I disagree with what I said last week. I, I think it's Edmonton. They have terrorized the BC Lions through in two games so far. They shut down the Bombers' offense for the most part besides Lucky Whitehead in week number three. Uh, I like the Eskimos just a little bit more here. Even on the road, I'll take Edmonton. Okay, you won't, but I will. I always try to take one upset pick a week. This is my upset pick. I'm picking Montreal by 10-plus over Edmonton. Wow. All righty. Put it on the table there. And then our final game of the week super quickly here. Uh, the first of a head-to-head -head between Saskatchewan and BC. This one is in Saskatchewan. I'll take the Riders at home. Uh, this game, I think, could be a little ugly, perhaps. Um, yeah. I'll uh, take home field advantage to the Riders. The, the Lions are reeling a little here. Yeah, I have this one at a 21-17, 21-15, something like that. Defensive struggle, one extra play. Pajardo makes it over Riley. And uh, first of a bat-to-bat pit in a home team. That does it for this week's show. Follow us on Twitter, CFC on Mike FM. Follow the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well for all the other great shows, cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork. Like, comment, subscribe, review on all the podcast platforms, and we will catch you again next week here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Thanks for listening.